So, thank you for your interest, and we'll see how it goes. It may be that after one or two of these, you think you don't want to, you know, you don't need to, or you're not interested. But it's a voluntary thing, and I suppose the aim is to make so that we're going to be doing <laughs> chanting for most for our lives as in this community, <laughs> you know, the residents. So, very simply speaking, the aim is to make it enjoyable and uh, something that supports meditation. Um, So, uh, I like to rephrase, not exactly learning chanting so much as getting a sense for your voice and how the sounds, and making sound and how the Pali language works and listening so we can chant in harmony. And harmony, of course, as we know, is a very beautiful quality and it's, you know, we use it metaphorically to speak of people being in harmony, to live as a group in harmony, but of course it derives from the sound, being the sounds in harmony. And, uh, you know, the idea or the theme of, of chanting is when it really works is if all the separate voices become one voice. You may hear lead just lead just a little bit louder, just a little bit. You've got a guiding line, but the voices all merge, and there's a lovely feeling that comes with that. But this is also about even chanting on your own, because sound, the body making sound, is quite a quite a miracle, really. Um, it has an effect on a nervous system. The teachings were always spoken, listened to, because the the loop between speaking, listening, goes straight to the heart. It has a resonant effect. Uh, the first thing, when we're born, the first thing we really tune into is the sounds. Even when we're in the womb, we hear the sound, the heartbeat, boom, boom. And it, sense, it means you're safe. Everything's okay. What's around me is in harmony. You can't get that with the eyes because hearing is what's around me. What's around me is harmonious and I can fit into that. And when I fit into that, I feel the boundaries disappear and I feel comfortable. And that's a very important signal to get a sense for. And then even individually, the resonances of the voice, the resonances of the vocal system reverberate through the nervous system and through the body. So when we do paritta chanting, you know, the understanding of people who really look into this, those very sounds have a certain um, meditative uh, purity, um, strengthening quality that can be felt and discerned. And some people like to just go to a place and listen to the chanting and come out feeling really strengthened and uplifted by that. So today I thought we'd just start to explore how this body makes sound and the effects of it. That's why I don't think we'll need to use the books today. I mean, it seems to be one of the problems, too strong a word, but one of the snags is so often we learn chanting from looking at a book when, you know, the, the feedback is between the eye and the brain. 
and then the voice comes along behind it. Yeah? So you're looking at these little black marks on a white page and going, uh, what's that one? Long bar? Yeah. So it puts you into that kind of that mode where you're sort of focusing from your head and looking through your eyes and trying to get it right. And of course the page has got no sense of rhythm. There's no rhythm there. <laughs> it's all flat. There's no tonality. It's just black and white. And when you realise there's no such thing as black and white in voices, it's tones, it's colours. And that's the beauty of it. So of course we do have to read these things, but I try as best I can to, even if I don't know all the words, to at least try to learn through hearing, even if I fumble along and miss bits, to try to get it established there in the heart, and also to line it up with my breath. Because again, the problem with the written page is automatically you feel you've got to get to the end of the word before you can breathe, or get to the end of the line before you can breathe. So that means you're running out of breath and you start to rush, or you clip the end of the word off to get the breath in. Yeah? Because some of these, you know, some of these sentences are quite long, and it's actually longer than your breath. So you either rush, or, or squash it, or clip. And so, particularly with the Pali, often what happens is the end of the word gets clipped in order to fit the breath. The theme, ideally, with chanting is follow your breath. And we need to breathe. <laughs> you need to breathe. <laughs> you know, you just pause. And because people have got different breath lengths, when you're chanting in a group, almost certainly somebody else's voice will come in and take over the sound for you. So you don't have to rush. So you don't get a strained feeling, and you can just relax for as long as it takes. And when you cultivate it using your breath, generally you're going to find that you probably chant a little bit quieter to make your breath longer. Also, just to remember, you don't have to make it that loud. If there's ten of you, it'll be loud enough if everybody's listening. It doesn't have to be you know, belt it out kind of thing. <laughs> so it changes the modality of, of how we approach this experience. So getting to fit your breath, getting to fit your body, and using the connection between the voice and the hearing, rather than the eye and the written word. So let's um, start with the most obvious thing that you probably all know, perhaps never really thought about it because you do it automatically, is how, how you make a sound and how you can moderate the sounds. So again, with the speaking, primarily we use the mouth, the throat, top of the chest, that's all. But to get the full resonance of chanting, you need to use the entire torso. So from the belly, chest, whole body. Because with chanting, the important thing is not exactly the meaning of the word, which when you do the same thing every day, you know. It's the sense of experiencing the resonance. So we want to make the resonance 
you know, as important as the literal pronunciation of the word. So the resonance means you've got to involve your entire upper body. Because these resonances come from both the voice box itself, you put your finger on your voice box, and, uh, you can feel it, the vibration there, but also from bones. So if you lightly touch your forehead and mm, you feel a little tremble. Just like a guitar, you have the strings, you have the wooden body of the guitar, and it's the, the body of the, of the box, of the violin or the guitar is as significant as the strings. So similarly, we're using the bones and the reverberators in the throat to generate the sound. Of course, you don't do this deliberately, but it happens naturally if you use your entire upper body. So we chant, we need to get the upper body as relaxed and open as possible. This means dropping your shoulders and not getting too worried about the sound or getting the words right, but just first of all getting a nice open breath, out breath, and feel it. What happens is there's going to be a slight pulling or contraction in the abdomen. And the upper body is gently squeezed. So if you can get that completely. And for this you want to have the upright body. Again, if you if you do need to look at a chanting book, which when you do chanting, you probably do. Good idea is to lift it up. So that instead of compressing your chest by bending over, you like that. Rather than Buddha Varahanta Varata Digunabiyoto. Holding over. So, would you like to join? Um, Start with just the open breath, no sound at all. And then you begin to operate the voice box. So there are certain muscles around the larynx and I can't tell you what they are but you know what they are, you can feel them. As you start to use the muscles in your throat to operate the voice beginning with just the slightest contraction. So the lightest, the lightest pressure gives you the lowest tone. That's your natural bass tone, your natural unstrained bass tone is
And that sound will actually be different for different people, but with harmony, it doesn't have to be the same because the resonance is the same. Uh, That's the bass tone. And then as you successively contract or whatever you do, operate the muscles around that voice box. pitch you can even feel something happening way back in in the top of your throat the gullet the um, glottis where the, the back of the mouth the very far back of the mouth also slightly squeezes and your tongue arches to hold to get that sound And high sound, you can you can feel it reverberating in your temples, right? And then low, then slightly loosen. And take it down. then all the way down and then release and those particular (laughs) sounds and I think partly to do with the, the musculature of what happens in the throat to make those sounds probably has certain difficult to name emotional tones to it. So the bass sound is extremely relaxed. It has an effect on the mind. And the high sound is quite subtle. And we call it high. It's a sound. Why do we call it high? Because you get a sense of going up. And the low sound, you get a sense of descent. Nothing, nothing's, you know, really, it's just sound, but we get the feeling of something because it seems to tune in to very primary senses that may have developed since we were apes, you know of how we communicate through sound. And so then moderating. Yeah. 
so you get the sense of flexing in the voice. Now, you know, rather like in doing Qigong when you do some movements, obviously you are moving your muscles, but they're pretty loose. And the effect is a sense of release. You're not rigid, there's energy flowing, but it's not driven and it's not forced. Similarly, you get a similar effect with the chanting. It's a, the muscles operating the throat, the body is kept relaxed, the muscles operating the throat of loose, flexible, lightly energized. They're not strained, but they're not flat, inert. So the effect, a similar effect, you get a sense of lightness, space, and resonance. That's your basic resonators. Now I wonder if um, we might find not uh, the low tone, but somewhere in the middle of a range. Uh, and because these do seem to be aligned, you know, to low and high, I suggest you focus on the centre of your body, centre of your range, which would be in the centre of your chest. You know, the high tone is very much the head. Low tone seems to be more abdominal. Middle tone, centre of the chest. This would be your kind of, your main, your centre line. And see what comes out. And as you do so, as we're sitting in a group, just uh, listen and don't, don't struggle. Don't try to make it all work, but just listen and let the listening and the voice do what they do without interfering or being self-conscious about the sound of your voice. Just let the listening and the voice system work in their, their automatic way. I found it quite, quite lovely actually. It's very calming. You can feel the Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like whose voice. I don't know. It was just the sound, and it was relaxing into it, and it was really very sweet.
So that at the end of it, you actually want to sit there. Oh. <laughs> Lingering. Mm-hmm. Well, does anybody have any problems or struggles with that? Just to note also the communal aspect of it, the sense that if you do that with a group of people, you might find that just the intuitive sense is, I trust these people. Mm-hmm. And that's helpful. That's huge, isn't it? I trust these people. <laughs> that's lovely. Yeah. yeah, because voice is also extremely extremely personal it's our most personal imprint really you know the face is changing you have a beard or wear spectacles or whatever but your voice is immediately that's you definitely so you're actually bringing something quite intimate about yourself out <laughs> into the, the public and nobody's going yeah shut up yeah, I don't. <laughs> or, or you know, and everybody was meeting. I think that's really, really, really quite lovely. In the case that you just said at the beginnings as well, that um, the leader would be a little bit louder, but in the case of the leader, have very soft voice and very quiet, and how do people do that? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, <laughs> well, I think there are a couple of points. First of all, I do value it when, when you, different people can lead it. Because, you know, if somebody's voice isn't actually, you know, strong enough for other people to pick it up, uh, I, I certainly like it if you've got someone who's actually you can hear it and tune in with it but if for some reason or another that's not possible then I guess we just have to listen more deeply <laughs> or even gently could you could you yeah. um, or get closer physically closer if you're really quiet you can probably hear that. Uh, can you hear it? Yeah, but it's just the way how we chant, when we chant together, that we, we need to be like kind of quieter than the leader, like I'm to be Try to, yeah, not override the leader, if the leader is definitely leading it, you know. I mean, for example, Ajahn Kruniko, for example, he doesn't like to lead it because he doesn't feel his voice. He doesn't have the strength, but we might, he might technically be the leader, but he might kind of try to encourage somebody else to actually move it along and we'd all tune in into, into the, um, the leading voice, whether it's the leading monk or the leading nun, but the leading voice. Um, and some people have just really got very good uh, capacity for, for that uh, chanting. Some of us don't. So listening, 
Let's see we go through the basic sounds. And I'll just touch these today. First of the vowel sounds. And so we have vowels and consonants. And vowels are the open, open sounds. And the consonants are there to close the sound. So art, art, art. They're the, they're the closing. So the, the, the vowel sounds, the open sounds that are made through the throat, chest, um, resonators, and the closings are made through the lips, the tongue, the mouth. Closing it. So, you know, and there are different ways in which you can you use your tongue and your teeth and your lips to make the consonant sounds. And there are ways in which you uh, arrange your, your mouth and your throat to make the vowel sounds. But obviously it's the same air travelling up the body. And in Pali, in fact in Sanskrit too, the alphabet looks kind of illogical when you use the Western alphabet. It's actually extremely logical, <laughs> whereas the Western alphabet's got no logic in it at all. And the logic is... The first letter is the back of the throat, and you gradually move forward. So the back vowel is uh, which means if you make that sound, you're uh, way back in your throat. Uh, 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 and then as you move forward through your mouth, you come to the other sounds. So the vowel, the air is let come forth before the airflow is slightly distorted by the mouth. Distorted or shaped by the mouth. So you start in the back and move forward. So the back vowel is ah. In some languages it's not even a letter. It's just considered with if you put two consonants together that don't merge, you have to have that sound. So if a T and a D and you put them together you're gonna get tud. Because <laughs> they can't they can't merge. So it's barely a sound, it's just a, kind of like a, a breath or, or the moment between t, 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 t. To make from T to D, you've got to slide your tongue back, but your breath is still happening, so t, you get that puff of air. And that's the, that's the short A. So when you see in the chanting books, you see the letter, which in English is called A, so as soon as you see that thing, you hear the sound A. It's not the sound A, <laughs> it's the sound uh. Yeah, The shortest sound vowel you can make, which is just the, the, the connection between one consonant and another when they don't merge. Right? So obviously S and H merge, so you get SH. But D and T don't merge, so you get DUT. That uh, that's what they call the letter A. So when we when we chant like that, it's extremely like Buddha, Dhamma, Dhamma. It's barely a barely a vowel sound at all. So it's not Dharma, but Dhamma. And if you look in the Pali dictionary, the next sound is the A with the bar on top. The bar on top is called a macron, and that is a, a very open sound. Ah. Uh, so it's 
beginning in the back of your throat, there's no moderation with your lips. Right? Your lips and tongue aren't moderating, or they just they just go quiet. Ah, right? So your, your tongue lies on the floor of the mouth, the lips leave it alone. Ah, and the sound is coming up into the top of the palate and rolling down. It comes also down through your ah, through your nose. And then next sound, ah, we start to operate the back of the tongue by arching it slightly. Still, still quite back. Lips aren't doing anything. Then with the O sound, lips come in. Oh, act like a funnel. Oh, and then the the U sound. Ooh, they really come forward, pursing forward. Ooh. And then the final one is the ooh, which is the tongue curls up and the lips come forward. So you get this this is the this is the sequence of vowels. I mean, sorry if I'm complicating things. <laughs> Particularly because in the English language, when you see these words, you don't get those sounds. You get what are called diphthongs, which means you get two or three sounds mixed together. A-I, which is A-I. We call that A, it's actually A-I. <laughs> which is it's a mixing, slurring of sound. But the Pali sounds are all pure. A-I-O. So the nice thing about it is it's a lovely, the sound is kept quite clean. It doesn't twist and distort. It's not slurred. And that's, to me, that's part of the beauty of it. When you hear that sound, it just stays steady. It doesn't change into something else. It's not like, oh, oh, which is <laughs> kind of changes. <laughs> it's, oh, the beginning is exactly the same as the end. So that's the steadying effect. Oh, and so you've got to overcome what you see written down. So we so, say, Namo, not Namo, Namo, <laughs> but Namo. And, so, and then with that, it means you can also, particularly if you're on your own, you can just lengthen as long as you like. Namo, and linger in the steady resonance which doesn't change. And so if we're using these, these vowel sounds together, the theme is that if they're not hurried and we manage to put aside our, our reading habits and what the English language does and tune into the party language and what the sound does, you get a very nice steady effect because every vowel is steady. It doesn't go eh. I mean, there are slight musical tone shifts you can do like so you can lift it but ideally you don't twist it you don't go oh you may go you may lift it but you don't twist it 
So it keeps the purity of the sound, the steadiness of the sound, and the resonance in your system. It stays steady. So the theme is, if you're doing a lot of Pali chanting together, you get a lovely, steadying resonance together. And the consonants are rather more complex. And Pali consonants, I'll deal with those another time. What about a phrase? Mm. Yeah, like a little short phrase you can recite. Can you do just the vowel sounds? The A, the, the short A isn't really a, hardly a sound at all, so we can't really go uh, together. <laughs> but we could do an ah. Can you do an ah together? Stay steady with it. And let's take the E sound. This is squeezing the tongue up to the towards the top of the palate. And then the O sound. And the O sound. The A sound is, of course, that which is written down as the letter E. <laughs> e. In English, yeah. <laughs> it's just a mixed up Mongol language. <laughs> there's also, I forgot, there's the short U. So we have the long U, which is the U, and the short U, which is U, 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 is slightly you abbreviate it, but they're pretty much the same sound. So when you're looking at the words in the Pali, just try to you know, rub out or do what you can with the letters and try to get the sounds. There's slightly more to that because also in Pali you have the effect of the syllabification. So Syllabification means every word is divided into two or more syllables, which means a syllable is marked by where the consonant closes it. Where the consonant closure occurs, that's a syllable. But, that's one syllable. Yeah. Or, and that's so one way in which a syllable is marked by a consonant clips it. Cat, that's a syllable. Cat, trap, it's two syllables. Cat, trapper, that's three syllables. <laughs> right, bump, 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 bump. And so the nature of how that syllable ends has an effect on the overall sound.
but we'll deal with that another time. Okay, so thank you for your attention, participation.